0: There we go. No dumb preacher. <laughs> Open your Bibles with Eve wood. 1 Samuel 25. You don't have to repeat that part, that dumb preacher thing. That was my dad's response to everything at church, dumb preacher. <laughs> so you know how I grew up. Did anybody grow up where you had roast preacher for lunch on Sunday? You know what I mean by that? Yeah. has nothing to do with this. It's free. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Still in our series Wisdom for Life. So, from Abigail, Nabal's wife, we're going to learn some, some ideas about relationships. Uh, Nabal, and, <clears throat> Nabal and Abigail did have some problems, but that was just part of the problem. There was a bigger problem that about got him killed. We're going to talk about that today that and hopefully try to learn some lessons about getting along with people where it won't get you killed because that's a bad thing. And even worse, make you miserable. And hurt everybody around you. First Samuel chapter 25. And when we read this passage in just a minute, it's a little bit long, but I encourage you to follow along with me and then keep your Bible open because we'll read another section to get the full impact of the story. It's a great story, one of those stories that there are some great people in the Bible and if you read their story and, and get into it, you can gain so much, which is why God put it there for us. It's not just history. It's God speaking to us today. As always, we pray, and we pray for so many things, our upcoming elections, the fate of our nation, wisdom for leaders, of course, comfort and protection for our workers, social workers, and first responders and soldiers. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated, I'll close, and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We recognize that all that we have on this earth is gift. Thank you, Father. You are generous to an extreme. We eat every day. We live in the safest and most wealthy and greatest nation in human history. We are safe and secure. We have more than almost everyone. Your blessings, Father, we thank you. We thank you especially for the life that we have in Jesus. For this faith that cleanses us, that encourages and nurtures us on every level, that helps us to be our best, to help us to know what that best is. Thank you, Father. You have saved us from ourselves and our sin. You've done this through Jesus. We thank you, Father, for his sacrifice, for your resurrection of his Son, for all those things. We thank you. Lord, we pray this morning you'd be with us in this worship. We lift up our voices and our hearts to you because we recognize your goodness and your grace. We pray today that you would work in the lives of those in our congregation. Some here struggling with health issues. Some end of life. We pray for others that are struggling to keep their families together, to raise their kids, to do their best by their families. Encourage them, Father, and help them to find the narrow path. And for the rest of us, Father, we ask for strength to resist sin, to honor Christ in all things, not only to study Scripture, but to follow the teachings therein. As always, we pray for those that have power over us, our leaders, those elected and otherwise. Give them wisdom and guidance, discernment, Discretion in the way they use their powers. The ability and willingness to work together for the common good. Father, help us as a church to be the church. To teach our people the gospel. To proclaim that in the community. To minister in Jesus' name to those we encounter. As always, Father, we pray as sinful people, and we ask for mercy and forgiveness. Cleanse us as only you can, Father, through the blood of Jesus. We pray for wholeness and a sense of hope in this life and in the life to come. Speak to us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like David said relationships are difficult. No matter your age, they're hard. And I know that. No matter who you are, no matter how nice you are, there's always somebody isn't there. Have you ever noticed that? No matter where you are, there's always somebody that messes things up. And sometimes that somebody may be you for whatever reason. Relationships are just hard So today we're gonna talk about relationships and what scriptures teach us. And we're gonna get started just by watching a short video. It's just a couple of minutes long. Maybe getting an idea of what we may or may not be talking about.
1: We all know about the wonderful grace that God has shown mankind by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins and offering us forgiveness if we ask him for it. But this great gift comes with some responsibility. We have been commanded to forgive others as Christ forgave us. It sounds like a tall order, but we must remember something very important. We only have to forgive people that specifically ask to be forgiven. If they don't ask us, we can continue to hold grudges and resent them. You see, God forgives those that ask for it, not just anyone. So we can be choosy in our forgiveness and generous with our scorn toward anyone we like. If there is someone you really don't like, and you suspect they are going to ask for your forgiveness, feel free to put your fingers in your ears and hum loudly whenever they are near. You won't have to show them any grace, and you can hold their misdeeds over them forever. Isn't forgiveness a wonderful thing? These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian.
0: It's sad but true, isn't it? That some would adhere to that. I've even found myself toying with the idea, do I have to forgive people if they don't say they're sorry? Because, you know, some people never do. Even after you explain it, they're not going to apologize. Some people just don't. So you're left with this conundrum. Do I hold a grudge against them for the rest of my life? Or am I going to be Christian and offer forgiveness? Well, you know the right answer. But still, we struggle, don't we? Well, today we're going to talk about forgiveness and read the story in 1 Samuel 25 about someone who needed forgiveness and didn't even know it. 1 Samuel 25, I'll read verses 2 through 13. So, 1 Samuel 25, beginning at verse 2. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail, and the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite, that David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace be to you, And peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. And now I have heard that you have been shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came... They spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name, and then they waited. But Nabal answered, and David's servants said, Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers, and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. And David said to his men, Each of you gird his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. We'll get to the rest of the story in just a bit. David and Abigail, and we'll get to Abigail's part in just a little bit. So you can see what was going on. Now just a little bit of history here, not too much. So Nabal was a rich guy, 3,000 sheep. All right, so he was fabulously wealthy in that culture. And it was, if you look at your map, you'll see in the hills of Judah, literally out in the middle of nowhere was Moan. It was just a suburb of Carmel, which was a little bitty place, in the middle of the the harshest desert. And somehow in the harshest desert on the planet, Nabal had eked out a large fortune. That guy was fabulously wealthy. And he was having a shearing. Now this is what farmers do, and you've read, you've seen National Geographic shows about this, I'm sure. Shearing a sheep is no big deal, unless you happen to have 3,000. Then it turns into a big deal. And a shearing turn, for 3,000 sheep turns into not a one-day affair with a few farm hands. This was literally hundreds of men gathering together, herding the sheep shearing the sheep, working, and a huge kitchen crew, more than is here, preparing food and victuals for all these people. So this was a huge thing. Not only that, if you mention, if you notice there, in one place, David said there's a, a celebration here, and what was going on was this was a great time to be alive because when Nabal, the rich guy, was shearing sheep and he was seeing all this wool that he was making, he was already counting his dollars and like any rich guy, he was feeling pretty good because he was going to get loaded here. And so this was one big party. And sometimes they were drunk during this, but not always. And it was just a big deal. And it was a celebration because they were a celebration, the gift of the gods... And they weren't God's people. These were just pagans. But they were celebrating the gifts of the gods. And they knew that the gods had blessed them. And they were wealthy. And there was a lot of liquor out there. And there was a lot of good food. And the women were out there fixing all this. Taking, and it was just a great time to be alive in this group. David and his people had been out there too. Now they weren't part of this. If you remember his part, he was still running from Saul and Samuel and waiting for all this kingdom come he wasn't King David yet but they were in the area and they had been watching all of this and they were hungry and because they were there and just trying to be good neighbors they made sure that bad guys didn't come in and and rain on the parade of the party and so David said you know I want some food I'm kind of hungry so he sent his people to go talk to Nabal's people And said, you know, I'm just being a nice guy here. I've protected your crowd and uh, we'd like some food if you could spare it. Just nothing, nothing out of the way at all. This was kind of the way things were done. Sometimes you would be paid after the fact and that's what happened. Nothing had been arranged, but it was there. And everybody knew that David and his soldiers were there. And so they knew what was going on. And what David did was perfectly appropriate in that culture asking for help asking the rich guy who obviously was a wealthy man if they could share just a little bit of their extra food and as I said they had lots of extra food so he really wasn't asking him for anything crazy and Nabal said who is David David he didn't know who David was. King David wasn't King David yet. He was just one more guy. And in the response, he said, there's always people breaking away from their master. What am I supposed to do? Take care of everybody? And he was being a smart aleck, of course. But he's saying, I don't know who you are, Dave. And I don't care what you've been doing. Get out of here. And so he shunned him and rebuffed him. And then it made David so angry. He said, guys, get your swords. We're going to have us a killing. And that way, and they were going to literally go and kill David. Nabal and there was going to be a slaughter so that's the historical situation so on screen is one of the first things we want to learn from this story broken relationships can take the joy in life out of our lives literally broken relationships can take the joy out of your life it can add sour it can add misery it can take away any possibility of happiness and sometimes Broken relationships can get you killed. Just this week, we saw this in the world scene. The secret emissary of our government went to talk to China. Do you think they were just talking tea and crumpets? No. They were trying to save the world, literally, by this quiet effort at relationships. You know there's great tension between us and China for all sorts of reasons. And there are no easy answers to these problems But our administration was smart enough to know that we need to have somebody go and talk to that guy. And so they're working at a relationship. And so that's what's going on there. Now, whether or not it's gonna work, we'll know in 10 years, but that's what's going on. It is the way the world works. When I was a kid, I would watch this thing in the news where Emissaries would go and talk and presidents would play golf and they would have these big dinners I I always thought that was so silly my dad didn't put up with that kind of nonsense He said Kevin when you got something to do You just look them in the eye and shake their hand real hard and get it out the open And I thought well, why don't those guys just do that? Well, of course, I was naive and a dumb kid and I didn't know that's not the way things are done the way things are done is you nurture relationships you play golf you have a meal You spend time doing whatever people do and you have a good time doing it and you build some relationships and after the relationships are there, then you bring up those difficult issues and based on good relationships you can work out difficult problems. That's the way the world works. Not only is it the way the world works, it just makes good sense. You can always work things out better, easier with people that you know and love and those kinds of things. So in this story, there was going to be a massacre. And it was going to be bad because the shearers were not armed. And evidently, they didn't think they needed armaments or soldiers because there weren't any. And so David was just going to take his guys and he was going to kill them all. And it was going to be a mess. It doesn't seem that difficult to imagine, does it? How many of us have... Broken relationships over a misspoken term, over a slight that you really didn't intend because somebody said something or did something and, and two hard heads butted and relationships were lost. We've all done that. The fact that it was about to come to blows, well, we see that every day on the news, don't we? I mean, the shootings, they use guns, but that's not the issue. It's broken relationships, isn't it? Sure. Sure. What was going to happen with David and Nabal happens every day. So here we are, 3,000 years later, literally nothing has changed. Details are different, but it's all the same. I was watching some videos the other day and I, uh, you know, I I like to watch YouTube videos when I'm killing time or I have a few minutes. Not because I can learn anything, but just because I I like to watch people being stupid and, you know, there's always a camera anymore and so there's always a a camera of people being stupid. But the, so I was watching some videos on relationships and there's all kinds of that. And the title of the video I clicked on was How to Survive in Jail. Well, I've never been in. I've only been in jail one night in my life, and that was when I was 14 years old, and no big deal there. But so anyway, this title said how to survive in prison, something like that. I don't remember the exact title, and uh, the, the guy gave explicit instructions on how to survive in jail. He said, first off, remember, everybody in jail is in a bad mood. That's why they're there, and everybody in jail has an anger problem. That's why they're there, and everybody is ready to fight. Because that's why they're there. He says, so you've got to be careful because you will get killed in the shower if you're not careful. And he was just being blunt. And he had been in prison. And he made this video and he gave these rules and they were so funny. He goes, remember, everybody is mad and they will kill you. So what you have to do is learn how to survive without getting killed. So he gave these rules. And one of these rules was, now women are going to think this is silly. And I guess it is, but this is the way men are. When you look at a man... Don't ever look him in the eye because that's seen as a threat and this is in a jail setting So when you look at a man you duck your head immediately Do not look him in the eye because that is an immediate confrontation But in the off chance that you catch somebody in the eye you dip your head You don't go like this you go like this And so he demonstrated that and you've seen guys do this when you see your friends guys go like that You know you see that all the time you seldom them go like that because that's a sign of Submission But in prison, you will get killed if you do this thing because that is a sign of rejection of submission. You know, I'm not going to be your boy and all those kinds of things. And so that can be an immediate fight, he explained. So in prison, so remember this if you're there. In prison, when you're looking at a guy and you catch him in the eye, dip your head because that shows that you're not a threat. And he said, don't worry about whether or not they think you're uh, a pushover. That's not the issue. That is an unspoken rule of prison inmates. I didn't know that. I've never been to prison before. But isn't it interesting that even in prison, there are rules for relationships? Because if you have broken relationships, it can take the joy and even the life out of your life. Back to our story. So Nabal rejected David's request. Now, Nabal is seen as a foolish man. Look at verse 25 of this same passage. Still in chapter 25, verse 25. And this is his wife talking about Nabal. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. So, Abigail is a good woman. The pastor says she's attractive and intelligent and all those kinds of things. She married a fool. I don't know why beautiful women marry fools, but they do. I've heard it. One of my friends calls it worthless man syndrome. He's been involved in ministry and helps a lot of women. And they're good gals and they're attractive and they're intelligent. And they've married somebody that is essentially able, a fool. Don't know why. It's the way it is. But she called it, didn't she? She said... Dave, my husband's a fool. Don't kill him. So, she knows that there are relationships and things that are going to be happening. So, on screen is this idea. God created us all with the capacity for good relationships as a means of encouragement and security and blessing. Every one of us has to work at relationships. Some of us have to work at it harder than others. My wife is one of those that doesn't have to work at relationships. She literally likes everybody and everybody likes her. And my daughters are the same. One of my daughters is the same way. One of my daughters loves people and they love her. And it's just wonderful and everybody thinks she's the bomb. Me, got to work at it. My other daughter, got to work at it. My daughters went to college together; they're a couple years apart. And on the Rolla campus, of only about seven thousand students, my oldest daughter, the nicer one, was known as the nice pain girl, and the other one was known as the pain girl that's not that nice. And people told them that in campus ministries. And strangely enough, my youngest daughter didn't care. You know, she was ready to fight. She was large and in charge at five foot two, redhead, of course. Born with her mouth open, hadn't shut it since. And all those kinds of things. And for her, relationships are a little more difficult. But she's learned as a therapist now. She's working at it. She has to work at relationships. She's become very good. The point is, everybody can learn to have good relationships. But it is a skill. It comes when you work at it. If you don't have good relationships, you may be the problem. That doesn't mean it's always all your fault. And you can't have good relationships with everybody because sometimes they're the problem. But your relationships can be better. Whether it's the relationships at home, with your parents, or your kids, or your spouse, or out in the public at church, or anywhere else. Your relationships can improve. Because of your efforts. What you have to do, though, is begin to learn some of those rules of relationships and learn to work in relationships and and make that one of your goals. And it doesn't come easy, but it can happen. God has given us the ability to do that. Now, the reason we know he thinks we can is because the Bible is really chock full of relationship advice, isn't it? Think about it. Almost everything in Scripture is instruction for you to have a good relationship with God or a good relationship with people. Now, God wouldn't teach us those things if he didn't think we could learn. So take that. One of the things that good relationships can do is help us. So on screen is this next idea. Good relationships can bring joy and stability and the support of others into our lives. Nabal didn't learn that lesson. I don't know how, but Nabal married well. He got fabulously wealthy. And had really a small kingdom. Had more money than he could spend. Strangely enough, everybody knew he was a fool. But he was a fool you didn't mess with. And sometimes people respond to that. And strangely enough, again, he was able to marry a beautiful woman. That was intelligent and capable. Who understood relationships. Nabal didn't. He was a fool. But Abigail knew everything about it. The Bible says she was a smart, attractive woman, and she knew what David did. As soon as she heard about this whole encounter, she thought, oh my gosh, what did my stupid husband do this time? And so, now, no testimonies, women. The wife, the wife, only a man would say that, but the wife had to fix what her husband did. And don't hold your hands up. I got a story. Don't do that. But it happens. Men say something or do something dumb and the woman has to go behind the scenes and fix it. So this is what's going on that age old, age old story. Almost like everybody's love Raymond or something like that. So she packs her bags. Not, she wasn't leaving but she knew that David would kill him for what he had done. She goes, oh my gosh, my husband's going to get murdered. All my friends are going to get murdered. Probably me too. So she had her associates and her laborers load up a train of donkeys and mules and camels with all sorts of food and victuals and drink and all those kinds of things. And she went out and talked to David and his crew, literally begging them not to kill them. So if you would, First Samuel 25, I'll read verses 23 through 27 and then 35. So still in chapter 25, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you. And listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my lord... As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as nabo. And now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and even shall not be found in all your days. Now drop down to verse 35. So David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. That is the wisdom of relationships, isn't it? What she did, she went, she chased him down, she made the effort, took the initiative. And she said, I'm the problem, I'm sorry. And she took the blame for her husband's foolishness. So on screen are some things we can learn from Abigail's response. The wisdom of healthy relationships. Number one, this is an easy one. Take responsibility for the relationship. In other words, even if the other person failed you or the other person hurt you, if you value the relationship Take the initiative and go say, listen, I don't know what happened. If I messed up, I'm sorry. And give them a chance. And make an effort at making the relationship whole. This is where you don't go away and stew and let someone suffer or just go on a lot of their life while you suffer. This is where you say, this is stupid. I'm going to get over there and go talk to him and fix it. Or see if you can fix it. You take the responsibility. So Abigail knows this. As far as David knew, all he knew was that that was Nabal and I've heard he's got a good-looking woman and that's all he knew. And then she came to him and she blew some smoke his way and told him he was a great guy and that God was going to bless him and be in charge someday. You see, she took the initiative. No one asked Abigail to do that. Nabal didn't say, Abigail, I messed up. Would you go fix this for me? He wasn't smart enough to do that. Abigail said, you know, i got to fix this. She took the initiative. So one of the things that we can learn from this is when you've got a relationship and you value that relationship and you need that relationship and you want it, take the initiative. When there's a break, you take the first move. When something happens, you take the first move. It's just not working. You do something to bring it up and all those kinds of things. It's not fun and it's not fair. Well, I didn't do the wrong thing. Why can't they come to me? Well, that's a great question, but they're not going to. So if you value the relationship, you get up and you go over there. You text them. You phone them. You FaceTime or better yet, go talk to them. You shake their hand. When you mess up, Take the initiative. That's you. That's Christian. It's biblical wisdom. So you initiate peace, and you don't wait for someone else to act first. They may not act first. It's up to you. So on the next screen, speak healing words. Did you notice the stuff that she threw out his way? Dave, I messed up. I didn't catch my husband. I didn't know what he was doing. I couldn't help it. So she covered herself, but then she said, listen, I am sorry. She apologized on her family's behalf to save her family. And then she said all those nice things about David. David, you're a man of honor. God's going to bless you. Someday you'll probably rule the world and all those kinds of things. Now, she wasn't a prophet. God hadn't told her anything as far as we know. But she was saying what David wanted to hear. Saying the right thing to calm him down because her goal, remember, wasn't to be his friend. Her goal was to keep him from killing her husband and her so she was desperate so she cleaned up brushed her teeth fixed her hair put on nice clothes made it obvious that to David anyway that it was important to her to fix this relationship speak the words I'm sorry I'm sorry if I hurt you I don't understand what's going on would you explain it to me and so on and so forth Make the effort at the relationship. Choose to be kind and patient. It's a choice. When you talk, build the person up rather than tell them down. Well, I'm an idiot, but you're an idiot too. You know, that doesn't work. What you have to say is, I'm sorry. What can we do to help this relationship? And just see what happens. Another thing on screen, let things go. Now, this is David Did you see what he did? He was going to kill everybody. And he saw this pretty woman there who was so nice. He was going to have to kill her too. Because she was connected with that fool. And he let it go. He goes, you're right. And he explained, you know, I was going to kill everybody. But you've been so gracious and kind. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not going to kill anybody. That was David's part. So, she, David here is showing us, if you value relationships, sometimes you just got to let go. It doesn't matter who started it. It doesn't matter who was hurt. It doesn't matter if your ego was bruised. You have to decide, is the relationship more important? If as Christian, you value the relationship, this is where you let things go. Well, I can't believe they said that. I don't know. It doesn't matter what they said, does it? You got to let it go. Sometimes, I've found this out, sometimes, some people that hurt you they want to make up, but, they, but they're not there yet. But they'll eventually come around. There was a guy in one of my churches. He and I had this love-hate relationship. We worked together really well. We got along when we were getting along. And when we weren't getting along, we really couldn't stomach each other. It's just the way it was. We never had blows, never had a fight or anything like that. But there was something about him that I didn't like and something about me that he didn't like. It's hard to imagine, right? Right. And one time, he made a a pretty cutting insult about me when I wasn't there. And I was a pastor, and he's with a group of church folk. And of course, church people talk. So it got back to me, so I knew all about it. So if you ever want to rag on the preacher, be careful. Because if you tell somebody in church, it'll probably get back to him. Secret there. So anyway, I knew what he had said. And... uh, I was being a stubborn fool, and I refused to do what I'm telling you to do. Didn't take the initiative. And you know what happened? A couple of weeks later, he came up, and we were talking over coffee. He goes, you know, Kevin, a couple of weeks ago, I said, and then he told me what he had said. He goes, I didn't really mean that, you know. You're okay. I said, okay. And I wanted to hit him with my big Bible and all those kinds of things. You know, smack him with the word of God and all those things but I let it go just because it was a matter of survival he was a leader in the church and I loved his wife and his kids and all those kinds of things and I just let go and we were able to work together for another 10-12 years without incident just because I did the biblical thing that time I don't always but I did that time I just I just let it go he didn't really apologize or anything like that but for guys sometimes that's all you get and he meant i'm sorry okay so what you have to learn to do is sometimes let things go it's not fair you don't get revenge you don't get get in a shot you know one of the things you have to avoid is in those times when you're upset the temptation is to open your mouth this is when you don't Don't open your mouth. If you're really angry, if you're really frustrated with this person and they've really stuck it to you, don't talk. Think. Pray. Think, how can I do this and save the relationship? Now, the rest of the story is Abigail went home, found her husband, drunk stupid. Remember, this was a party time. He was drunk stupid, out of his head, and she decided instead of waking him up and talking to him, she would wait until he slept it off. So a couple of days later, he woke up and was walking around drinking coffee, trying to get rid of his headache. And she said, oh, by the way, I went and talked to David, and this is why you're alive today. And he threw a hissy like no hissy was ever thrown. And he threw a screaming raging fit. Probably knocked her around a little bit and beat her up some. It doesn't say that, but that's the way things were in ancient cultures. And in the middle of this rage, he had a stroke or heart attack or something. And 10 days later, after she cared for him for 10 days, he finally died. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he was being punished by God. Just in a rage, he had a heart attack or something. We don't know. Sometime later, David heard that Nabal had died. And David remembered, you know, his wife, she really was nice looking. And she she was nice. And so they got married. So anyway, you never know what the future will bring from your efforts at relationships. On screen is this lasting idea. Healthy relationships are always a challenge, but they are worth it. David will tell you that. Abigail would tell you that. It's hard. You've got to swallow your pride. But it is worth it to work at those relationships. Good relationships with others are one of God's greatest blessings. And they almost always come from following biblical teachings. You may not even know their biblical teachings. In fact, as I've observed over the time of my life, that sometimes people who aren't Christian, who have never been to church, who don't know anything about Jesus, they have good relationships because they let things go. Because they work at relationships and take the initiative. Because they do all the things I've talked about today. And that's just wisdom from God. So... If you can imagine someone in your life and your relationship is kind of rough, take the initiative this week. Drop them a note, text them, whatever. There's no rule here. Just do it. If there's some tension, if there's something wrong, if if, if it's vague and you know that something's a mess, just call them and say, you know, I, I feel like something's a mess up here. We're not getting along or something. And see what happens. It'll almost... Always work to save that relationship. This isn't because you're good people. This is because you're Christian. And it's what God wants you to do. One of the things that Jesus knew is that sometimes we would forget what being Christian meant. Being Christian doesn't mean you go to church and read the Bible and you're a nice person. That's part of it, but that's not what Christian means. Christian means you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus. That you base your life on the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Jesus knew that we needed to be reminded. So he says, when you get together and eat, think of me. So today we do what Jesus commanded us to do. We have this short meal called communion. And it's a meal meant to remind us that we follow Jesus, crucified and resurrected Son of God. When you eat the bread, and you'll see what I'm talking about in just a moment, it's a symbol of Jesus' flesh hung on the cross. The wine that you'll drink is a symbol of his blood shed for you. Jesus said, whenever you get together, you need to do this so you can remember who you are. Jesus' follower. So I'm going to ask that the deacons come and get in their place so they can distribute these elements. And the way we do it in this church, the deacons stand with their plate and you get up and come down and you get your cup and the cup is one of those things, you'll see it's a plastic thing with a peel-off lid. And you're going to have to work with that. And uh, so you'll need to do that. And be careful with it. That doesn't explode on your face. And if you see someone who's struggling, well, you help them, okay? Because we really are all in this together. Why don't you stand with me? We invite you to join in this meal as followers of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for this gift of life, for calling us to follow you. Help us, Father, in our relationships to do what honors Christ. Help us to live in a way that people can see Jesus in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come forward and get your cup, please? Paul tells a story in 1 Corinthians 11. I'll read this for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Paul then continues in the same way he took a cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you can in remembrance of me and then Paul adds this for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, when you're talking to your friends this week, casually mention, you say, well, we went to church, check them out, whatever. And the same, we had communion. And if they, they're Christian, they'll know what you're talking about. If they're not, they'll say, well, what does that mean? Well, tell them. Well, it's a way for us to remind ourselves that we follow Jesus. And they'll say, well, what is it, how does that work? Well, this is where you explain... That we do this because the blood symbolizes, the wine symbolizes Jesus' blood, the cracker symbolizes Jesus' flesh, and it's a symbol. It's a way of us reminding ourselves that we follow Jesus, that we're Christian because we follow Jesus. For thus you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And implicit in that story, when you explain this, because we think Jesus is going to come back someday, and we just want to be ready. And if your friend is interested, then talk to them more. They'll ask questions. And if they go, wow, that's weird. Well, that's, that's okay. You know, they're not ready for it. But if they ask, well talk to them. You don't have to beat people up with the gospel. It's a unique story. And if you've earned credibility with them and they trust you, they'll want to know what makes you you. And Jesus is part of that. Thanks for coming today. Nate's gonna come and lead us in a hymn of invitation. Why don't you stand with me? Nate's gonna lead us. Nate. come and lead us in a closing prayer just to let you know dave scott will be filling in for me and just so you'll know i really appreciate Dave. he's he's down with the kids right now but he has agreed to always preach for me in my absence and he does a great job so we're really fortunate to have him on staff so let him know how much you appreciate him all right judy would you come and lead us let's pray from the uh, uh verse in philippians and now father Fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Help us this week think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Amen.